Welcome back to Herald Review Outside the Box Podcast. I'm Joey Wagner with the Herald Review or Justin Kahn and longtime basketball, baseball coach Tom Sanchez. Tom And football. And football. <laughs> thanks everything. Longtime coach, Tom Sanchez. Tom, thanks for coming in. I know we kind of circled this when we first started to sit down and talk with you about everything. I think Justin had a few, if not many, questions to start. Oh well, okay. You know, Tom, one thing that I always enjoy when I, when we talk is hearing stories about your dad coaching you at DuCoin. Am I correct in saying correct. You're at DuCoin? And I always love to hear those those stories because there's always something interesting in it. And I find it fascinating that you know, as a coach who's you know been around a few years now, that you still kind of harken back to either something that you remember or lessons you learned from from those days. My my, the, my first conscious memory is being in a gym in a little town called Hoxie, Arkansas up near Arkansas State, where my dad was the boys and girls basketball coach and principal and drove the bus. And we lived in a home ec room, uh, or apartment above the home ec room. Uh, my mom was from Arkansas, so she was at home. My dad's from New York City. Uh, <laughs> they met at Arkansas State. Okay. Okay, cool. So, uh, and, and I find it, I coached my son, too. Yeah, and so I tried hard not to make some of the mistakes uh, <laughs> that my dad and I made when I was on the playing end. Uh, I had a rule: once we left the parking lot at Argentina, I was dad. And, and twice in four years, I could, I chose to continue the conversation <laughs> that I was having with him. Uh, but uh, uh, he he was a, a better athlete than I was. I, that that made things easier, and I really felt like in Ducoin. DuCoin had quite a reputation for firing coaches every two years. And so we moved in when I was a freshman. Uh, when I was a sophomore, we basically had four sophomore starters and a f- freshman. And I think I felt like I was playing for my dad's job part of the time. <laughs> and uh, so th- th- I think I made it maybe, maybe more difficult than it really had to be. Uh, my son is a lot more laid back than me, too, a lot more <laughs> like his mom. Uh, so he made, and the fact that he's 6'3", 240 made it, uh, made him easy to coach, too. <laughs> now, so did you play all the sports for your dad at, at DuCoin, or was it just basketball? At, at basketball DuCoin? and baseball. Basketball and baseball, okay. Uh, played football as a freshman and a senior. In between, I was injured, shoulder injuries. Really enjoyed football my senior year, I think because he wasn't my coach, and I, you know, I didn't have that burden of feeling like I was playing uh, for my dad's job. Uh, and at that time, Ducoin was not a football town. It, right. It had, been, it had, been, had not had many winning, se- winning seasons in the last 20 or so. And uh, the gentleman who really became the head coach when Ducoin started qualifying for the playoffs every year came in that year as the, the JV and freshman coach. And, and uh, he was very instrumental in making the kind of a football power down there. Now, are you similar to your dad as a coach? I mean, are you guys, are, are you similar at all to him? Well, I don't think you can say some of the things that he said <laughs> today and, and get away with it. But I think so. Uh, I'm always telling shooters to shoot. We're not paying you to pass, shoot the ball. Uh, I, I like an up-tempo game, if at all possible. And I know that, uh, I mean, he, he encouraged us to try to shoot 70, 75 times a game. Uh, so it was, of course, in Southern Illinois at that time, that's the way most people played. Everyone pressed full court, and it was just, there was very little set offense. It was just run down and shoot and run back to the other end. 
It, it, what about baseball? I mean, are you pretty similar there? I think the 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 field of coaching has really changed because I don't recall being instructed uh, individually much. E- even when I was in the pirate organization, I don't remember much individual instruction. Whereas today, it seems like anybody that's any good at all has their own private pitching coach or their hitting coach. I know my son does hitting lessons up at Normal, and he tells me his team at West has, he's the sophomore coach at West. Every kid has their own hitting coach or pitching coach. So it, we just kind of showed up and played in those days, I think. How does that play into when you're the head coach and these kids are getting, you know, what you're trying to push onto them and then they've got their own private coaches? Have you noticed more of a clash in that as you kind of have coached a little longer? Yes. Uh, my first reaction is, is not out loud, but to say, well, then <laughs> you're, I'll just back off coaching you for see See how that works. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, there's a man named Lance Wheeler, who's one of the hottest pitching coaches in America today. He invented a thing called a velocity belt. And I noticed he was at spring training in Arizona with several different organizations that brought him in to show this belt to their to their professional athletes. I have a couple at Argena. And, and he's all about uh, quit emphasizing mechanics and feel what you're doing. Uh, and I'm, I'm that way a lot with hitting and I, I'm not that, I've, I've, at one point I was, but I'm not that guy that stands in the bullpen and evaluates every pitch. <laughs> uh, I, I do think it's all about feel. And uh, I, I think I coach less, fewer mechanics, and more. What are you feeling? Or I told a kid yesterday we were has, uh, doing some live batting practice, and he was struggling to throw strikes. And I went out and said, "What are you thinking about?" Well, and he was telling me about his grip. I said, "Well, I want you to think about where you're, what pitch you're going to make, and do not think about your grip if you can. If you can." Uh, that's pretty hard. You know, if someone says, don't think about elephants, you start thinking about <laughs> elephants right away. Uh, and, and then, I mean, he went from a kid struggling to uh, the next four hitters. He just blew right through them. And th- this is a kid who's tr- a senior who's trying to develop as a pitcher. Because as I said earlier, we it, it's <laughs> o- open audition for pitching right now. Right. So you have your own, we talked about your baseball career, and you mentioned a minute ago the Pirates organization. I was trying to tell Justin some of it, and I forgot, naturally. What? It was a forgettable career. <laughs> so you went down to Carbondale, right? I mean, I know you, that's where you went to college. Yes. And, but you didn't play there, did no. you? No. I, I had signed my letter of intent to play at Carbondale with a man named Joe Lutz, who's the smartest baseball man I've ever known, and and. Not a very nice man to be around. <laughs> uh, but he told my dad at that time, the day I signed it, I know he's going to get drafted. And if they offer him $10,000, which was about what a college education cost for four years in those days, he needs to sign because he'll know at 19 or 20 whether he's going to make it or not. Uh, if he goes to college, I, was a, I, I would have had to... At, at the time, you either had to turn 21 or graduate once you started a four-year school. I wouldn't have turned 21 till the end of my junior year, so I would have uh, I would have been 21. And then, if you tack three or four minor league years, now you're 25, deciding what you're going to do. Uh, I was I've, I've looked at it more. I was 
drafted in the 14th round when there were 16 teams. So I don't know what that means today, but uh, the night of my high school graduation, the scout came in. They draft, the draft was a couple days earlier. And he said, we're prepared to offer $10,000. And then he said, and all of your college. I, in retrospect, I probably should have gone to SIU. I don't think I was emotionally ready for what hit me <laughs> at 17 to uh, leave Lambert Airport in St. Louis one morning knowing I wasn't going to return until Labor Day. And uh, was from a very close-knit family, small town, Ducoin. And uh, it was a forgettable career. I don't know if I got 20 at-bats in three years. I was hurt all the time. But I really th think what, I, and I don't know what caused it, but I read about Kevin Love today having anxiety attacks. That started for me the first game I played. The opening night, I was 17 years old, and I threw a couple of pitches back to the pitcher into center field. And that began a, a uh, almost a lifetime of anxiety about throwing the ball back to the pitcher and I, and I think it was interesting I would go SIU was one of the schools that allowed professional athletes to practice with them because in 1967 if you didn't go to college you, you were probably going to Vietnam and I wasn't anxious to go to Vietnam at that time uh, not a lot of colleges allowed professional athletes to practice SIU invite Jerry Royce who pitched uh, Ray Fossey, who Pete Rose ran over yeah. at home plate. Rich Hacker, who was a third base coach for the Cardinals. That was some of the guys that were there. Uh, that Royce had signed a letter. We're the same age. He'd also signed a letter of intent. He got a lot more money than me. Uh, <laughs> but he, he showed up one day, and I'm in the bullpen catching pitchers. And he, he looks like, I, 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 he was a big man, but he had on his sweatshirt that said, uh, property of SIU athletics, but it was like one you'd buy in the bookstore and some cut-off jeans and high-top tennis shoes. And he goes, I need someone to warm me up. And I'm thinking, oh, it's the last thing I want to do is warm you up. And the first pitch, I'm, I'm looking around, who is this guy? <laughs> uh, but I, I, I wish I, I, I've, I've probably tried a lifetime trying to figure, my wife tells me, just stop. But it keeps coming back to me that uh, I was just so bad for three years. I, I I was hurt, but I don't know if it was mental or physical. I mean, I know it was physical, but I don't know if the mental was aiding the physical. Right. I, I'm not sure. And uh, I was in Clinton, Iowa that third year, and I had just, the night before, just almost had a complete meltdown. I went in the last, to catch the last inning, and it was like, I didn't throw any away, but I, when I left the field, my uniform was drenched, and I made my mind that night, I'm going to go in and quit tomorrow. Knowing that I'm just going to crush my, my dad and my mom. And, uh, I, and I'm sitting down, the farm director happened to be in. I was with the Seattle Pilots at that time. And he said, we're thinking about moving you to AAA as a backup catcher. And I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Have you watched? <laughs> and, and, and I guess the curse was I could catch. And I had a good, I had a strong arm, but I could not throw it back to the pitcher. And the longer I would play, the 
the tighter I would get, it was, it was a disaster. And, and I think that's why when I started teaching, I was going to be a teacher that wasn't going to coach. And it didn't take long for coaching. At Macon, I was basically a, an assistant coach. I was more of an English teacher, play director, which was, but I hooked on with the Commodores, the, the Giants here in town, and uh, got to spend four years in Decatur and one year in Cedar Rapids, summer, as a summer job. It was like a doctor's degree in baseball because there's no pressure on me now. And in those days, like Decatur had a, a manager, that was it. So the manager, the first guy was a guy named Frank Funk. He said, I know you from the league. I said, you had to be down in the bullpen to know me because that's where I spent all my time. <laughs> what are you doing? And I told him, that was right before I started to teach the first year. He goes, I need help. I need someone to throw batting practice. He said, I'm a pitcher. I need someone to hit ground balls. I know you're a catcher. Someone to work with catchers. We can't pay you. I said, let's do it. And my wife, the saint that she is, said, as long as I don't have to go watch. I'm <laughs> and so there were a lot of ex-major leaguers that coached minor leagues in those days, and many of them were not very good at what they did. But they were, very, they, they were tough mentally. They weren't good teachers of the game. I would ask some of them, now, when, when you did this, and they go, I don't know, I just did it. Yeah. And that's kind of the way baseball was, I think, in, in those days. So that, that, that took some of the edge off of that uh, disappointment of, of my playing career. And uh, but I, I'm guessing up until about 15 years ago, if I went to a game, I would not watch the catcher throw it back to the pitcher. Wow. I just couldn't, couldn't do it. I mean, I imagine you can sort of relate to or, or you know, kind of get the plight of some of the players that have had those problems in the major <laughs> leagues over the years. I mean, it, there's been a lot of them. John Lester comes to mind going to first base. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Steve Sachs. Uh, one of my college roommates used to call me Steve Sachs, who was a Dodger first, oh, second baseman oh, no. couldn't throw it to first. Because there was a whole thing about the Steve Sachs disease. And I'm thinking, that, yeah, uh, those of us that had it eventually just called it it. Yeah. We all knew what it was, and uh, it was it was uncomfortable. And, the, and the, I find it fascinating that the team was like, yeah, we're going to promote you. They knew you had that problem, right? I mean, everybody, mm -hmm. I mean, this is not something you can hide, really. <laughs> I, one day, the, our manager in Seattle was a man named Sibby Sisti, Sebastian Sisti. Okay. And if you've watched The Natural, he's the opposing team's manager in the World Series at the end of the movie. He's on one, up on one step doing the, the stereotypical manager stuff. <laughs> A, a nice man, but again, kind of distant from, you know, he played in the major leagues, and this was all he knew, knew how to do. Yeah. So he said, kid, let's go down to the bullpen. And we, there's a, during a rain delay, he takes a bag full of balls. And on about the 11th ball, I hit a, I threw one that hit him on one shin, it, shin, it ricocheted off the other shin, he goes, you're right. <laughs> you can't do it. Because <laughs> I had really, I, I, I got to play some infield and out, like, like, when I just get off the uh, uh, disabled list for whatever time it was, I could throw enough. To, I had, this did not bother me playing the infield or the outfield. Yeah. Just put me behind the plate and the pitcher up on the mound. And, I mean, I'm, I'm a little anxious right now talking to you about that. So, really for you, it was a relief when that was over. Oh, my. I got, I got on a bus the next morning in Clinton, Iowa, and took the bus to Marion, Illinois. And my mom and dad picked me up because that's just about 20, 30 miles from DuCoin. 
And they felt so bad for me, and, I, and I'm sitting in the back seat thinking, I'm so happy I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, I, I continued to work it out at SIU because those were all my friends. And so I'd get out there early, and we'd go down to the cages, and I'd throw batting practice to them, or I'd warm up people. And I was Itchy Jones was a, a good friend of mine at that time. Uh, but I, I really have empathy for, free, for good basketball players that can't shoot free throws or that golfer that gets the yips. I mean, that was, that was me. That was, that was 24 hours a day, me, when, when I was trying to play. Right. And, and it, was, it was so uh, so difficult to know that if I were in Ducoin or Carbondale warming up a pitcher, I'd just throw it right back. And just, I mean, I, I really, I beat myself up a long time for being mentally weak. And I, and I think that's what, when, the first time I read uh, Ken Revisa, who's kind of the godfather of the mental side of baseball, uh, wrote a book, The Mental Side of Baseball, in the early 90s. And I thought, where was this when I needed it? Because, it, I mean, I mentioned it to, a, a, I mean, in baseball, I'm, I, I dislocated my, uh, broke my collarbone. And the doctor said, you're going to be four to six weeks. And one of the team officials said, you know, if you want to go home and work in a factory, you can take four to six weeks. But if you're going to stay here, it's going to be two to four weeks. You know, you, you, in essence, you know, spit some tobacco on it and let's go. Wow. This was the same coach that told me, as a 17-year-old down, I'm sitting in a hotel lobby, waiting to get on the bus to go to a game in Bluefield, West Virginia. He goes, kid, <laughs> I don't know if he said it, but you smoke or drink? Go, no, sir. He said, first of all, stop the no, sir. Okay? I'm your coach. He said, stop calling the manager coach. He goes, he's either Skip or Buddy. His name was Buddy. Call him Buddy or Skipper or Skip. He said, if you're going to be a professional baseball player, you have to learn to smoke and drink. Oh, my God. This is 1967. Yeah, I've heard of that, we, that, that culture. Beer was free in the locker room. Cigarettes were free. Chewing tobacco was free. I never never developed a taste for alcohol. I don't even drink the communion wine. I just walk right past it. I just, I don't like alcohol. But uh, I took to cigarettes and cigarettes took to me. And I was uh, from about age 21 to 30, a two pack a day minimum smoker. Uh, as my wife said, this cherubic little face with the cigarette hanging out of it just <laughs> doesn't look right. And I quit at age 30. My, my daughter was two years old, and she, we got in the car, and I did what smokers do. I lit up a cigarette, and she reached in the glove compartment and put one in her mouth. I'm not in the ashtray, I'm sorry. Right. I put mine out, and that was the last time I smoked a cigarette. Wow. However, I hope I'm not going on too long. No, 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 your purpose no, no, is no, great. No, no, no. Uh, 2010, my last year to teach, the beginning of the year, teachers' meetings. I loved teaching and hated teachers' meetings. <laughs> And I don't think the principals like to see me in there anyway. Cause, uh, but the morning meeting, I was about halfway through. I had to go to the bathroom. I went in, and I peed a Coca-Cola color. I knew that was, you know, I didn't major in medicine, but I knew something was wrong at that point. I called my doctor. He said, I don't think it's anything, but come on in this afternoon. So I actually bumped football practice. I was a football coach. I bumped football practice back a couple hours. And we, it, it never did happen the rest of the day. He said, I don't think it's anything, but I'm going to send you to uh, Dr. Canham. Uh, 
He's a urologist. So a couple weeks later, I could see Dr. Canham. Nothing hadn't had any other events. He goes, I don't think it's anything, but I'm going to uh, do this thing called a cystoscopy. I said, okay. He goes, now, you, we're going to put you under anesthesia because this is not pleasant. Uh, he said, I think you'll probably be, he said, I'm going to do it on a Wednesday. You'll probably be able to go back to school on a Friday. And I'm thinking, uh, I'm going back to school after I get home. And uh, I, didn't go, I didn't go back to school till Friday. <laughs> and the next Monday evening, I'm standing on the sidelines of a JV football game. And I, I never carry my phone on me. But it, I did, and it rang, and it's him, and, and he's saying, everything's good. He goes, now, uh, we've, we've, we found some malignancy there, and, but I think we've cut it all out. And, he's, and I said, did you just say what? I, did you just say I had cancer? He goes, yeah. He goes, it's interesting because this, this particular cancer that you had is a smoker's cancer. He said, you don't smoke. I said, oh, but I did for about 10 years. He goes, it got you. He said, 35 years later, here it is. Oh, my gosh. And so I've had, for the first two years, every three months, I had this test done. Then it was every six months. Now it's every year, and, I, and no return to that. I later had prostate cancer. But again, no, no, uh, uh, no drugs, n n nothing. I was, they, they were able to cut it out, and they test me and say, you're doing fine, and... I had a spring, 2013, I believe. Every inning I ran to the bathroom. And nothing happened, but I thought it. You know, we'd be on a bus, I'd say, oh, bus driver, get us somewhere close to a bathroom. And I'd get off the bus and run inside and then just be mad because nothing would happen. It was a prostate issue. and uh, My PSA was like 12. I don't know if you know anything about PSAs, but yeah, now it's under one. It's like being like a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> now, I found it interesting that you you didn't want to be a coach. You, you, or it wasn't necessarily something you wanted to do, but then, you know, here we are. <laughs> well, I, I think I had lived my life with a coach, and I was the coach's son, and I was expected to act a certain way, uh, and I thought that was the expectation was for me to be a coach. And I really liked school. I, I, I loved college. I loved exams. I loved the whole thing. But I didn't want to be a PE teacher. Didn't want to be a driver's ed teacher. English or history was where I wanted to go. And uh, it was going to take us, I was going to have to step away from it to not, to move away from DuCoin and to step away from coaching. And again, I think I had that such a negative uh, experience as a player. But it didn't take me long to first year. The head football coach at Macon actually played for my dad down in Missouri. And he remembered me. <laughs> oh, that's. You used to sit in the back of the bus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So, so that, that's kind of. So that somebody recognized you and said, Ah, oh, you are a sports person. You mm -hmm. need to. And, you know, they're always looking for coaches. Yes, so. they are. <laughs> Even in those days. So that, the first fall, I coached junior high baseball and football. So I just leave one practice and walk over to the other. And, I, and I, it, if you talk to people at Macon, I was there eight years. I'm Mr. They don't re refer to me as coach because I was never a head coach down there. I was an assistant, and I did the, and directed the plays. And 
uh, I coached, but I wasn't coach. coach right. Where at, at Argena, I'm coach, which is okay. There's could be worse things they call me. <laughs> 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 you mentioned, uh, you know, your relationship with your dad and then coaching your son. And I know that you kind of, so you learned some things, obviously, but there were still at times some challenges there uh, coaching your son. I mean, you guys had your... Uh, your issues at times, mm-hmm. but they but they were they were kind of fun. <laughs> uh, and I mean, we're talking about a kid that was he led the county in hitting as a freshman. You know, it was a six two, two hundred thirty pound freshman, and uh, so he he never played a junior varsity sport in his life. It was four years football, basketball, baseball. Yeah. So first of all, coaching someone with that talent. To, uh, I, I really started, one of my models of the day is often get out of the way and let them, let them go. Just, you know, I, I, I intentionally don't stand during basketball games because I know the coach's pose where they just stand. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't run many plays in basketball. And I think that all started with Mike, that I saw what effect, how I kind of got in his way sometimes. Uh, He's much like his mother. I mean, he really is. He's very. When the whistle blew, he was pretty hard nosed. But, but, I mean, he might. I, I don't know if he ever took a warm up swing in the, in the. I know he never did in high school. In his first game, he's on a good team. I'm hitting him fifth, and he. I'm looking at because I'm dad now, you know. And he's joking around, and you know, he gets in the on deck circle. And he's fiddling with his helmet and his bats. He he walks in the batter's box without having taken a swing. And I say something like, uh, he could tell I'm disgusted. Well, he hit the first pitch off the left center field fence. <laughs> he cruised in a second and looked at me like, how do you like that? <laughs> uh, the, the story I told today about him, because I had an old scorebook from 1997-98. He had uh, broken the free throw record at the Bloomington Normal State Tournament, consecutive free throws in a tournament, either 17 or 18. Monday after, at the end of practice, he's shooting free, shooting free throws, and it's nothing like he. Sh- I said, "What are you doing?" He goes, oh, "I'm working on a new free throw technique." <laughs> You're not happy with success? <laughs> oh, it just didn't feel right. And I think he was three for ten on Friday. He's like, uh, "Let's look at this now." Uh. <laughs> and he's a coach now. Yeah. Now, did you ever think that would happen? Never. Well, first of all, he. He was drafted by the Padres, and I think he would have gone higher, but people thought he was going to go play Division One football. I knew he didn't. He, he didn't. He was 6'3", 240, 245, but when the University of Illinois told him they wanted him to get to 300, we left the room. He goes, I'm not doing that. So he had the sense, I think, not to yeah. do that. Uh, but for three years, he entertained people in the dorms and on the bench. And uh, as he once later told my wife, you know, if you go to class, it's not really that hard. <laughs> so, I mean, he, he stayed eligible. That was it. And had a great time. Two years in the minor leagues, realizes he's, he, he came home the second year and uh, looked at one of his evaluations about, he was a left-handed hitter, you need to work, go to left field more. And I'm thinking that was his strength. I said, "What's going on?" I don't have any confidence. I don't. I don't. I don't have the confidence 
that I can wait on a fastball and drive it there. He said, I just, I know it's time to do something else. Okay, what are you going to do? I think I'll go back to school. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> so he talked to my wife and I and said, I want to live at home and commute to ISU for a semester, see if I could do it. Well, I knew he could. He was a bright kid. He just was indifferent about school. And he does well. We get a phone call one, near Christmas in the morning. He's not there, and they want to talk to Mike. It's the athletic department. Oh, man, what has he done now? So I tell him, and they, they want him to come up and talk to them. A week later, he comes home one day. He goes, I'm a first-semester sophomore. I said, what? He goes, they took all my grades below C and threw them out. He said, I don't have many. He said, but they reminded me that they said they would take care of me until I got a degree. So they're going to pay my tuition, and I can use their tutors the whole bit. And he became a real student, got married, um, decided to teach and coach. And his, his first couple of years of teaching, he didn't coach. And then one day he calls, I'm the eighth grade coach at Chittix next year. <laughs> oh, okay, good. I think he enjoys coaching basketball more than baseball, even though if you'd ask people what's Mike's best sport, they'd probably say baseball. But, and he enjoys that age group, that eighth grade age group. We share, th we run similar offenses. Uh, there's a couple of, I, I'm not an outside the box thinker. Someone said, I haven't even found the box yet. I, mean, <laughs> uh, I, I think I've spent my life testing conventional wisdom. I, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a rebel. But I, I want to know. I mean, if you tell me this is the way it's done, I want to know why and is there a better way to do it. And uh, we, we have both found a, a couple of basketball gurus that, that we're on their websites. And there's some ideas. And then I look, watch the Houston Rockets last night, and they're doing this. What this college coaching candidate is saying, here's the, here's the, the revolution in fast break basketball. And he's, he mentioned Houston Rockets are doing this. And I turn around and I'll go, damn, they are doing that. That has to be really satisfying that you have that relationship with your son where you guys can talk coaching like that. I mean, that has to be, you know, kind of full circle with everything. Well, it, it, it wasn't something I th thought we would have. He was just a natural, gifted athlete. And more than once, I would say something to my wife about, I wish he would take it more serious. And she would say, so he can start having anxiety attacks. <laughs> wow! Yeah, my, my wife knows me pretty well, uh, <laughs> and isn't afraid to say anything. That's yeah, uh, and and that taught me a lot. And I, I can remember one of my best friends in college was a man named Dan Radison, who at one point was the Cubs' third base coach. He's closely tied to Jim. Wherever Jim Riggleman went, he went with him. And uh, he was that student like my son in college. And, and he has been in professional baseball his whole life. Uh, he's on marriage number four right now. He was married to Keith Hernandez's uh, wife for 10 days once. <laughs> and he wants to, I was in Chicago a few years ago. We had lunch together. And I said, you know, Dan, I, I've often uh, envied you for being in professional baseball, especially in the major leagues, as long as you have been. He said, and I've often envied you having a, a wife and children. Too. But he was that—he was that student in college that was, eh. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> just happy-go-lucky. I'm not wired that way, but I've gotten more that way. You know, it, it does seem like your teams, and I know you got to go here sometime, okay. but, but, but it does seem like your your coaching style and your teams, it, it's, it is a relaxed environment. It's not, like, pressure-filled. And it does seem like, you know, it's that you've learned from your experience there to, to, to and you know, to kind of make it more of a laid-back feel. I think, I, I think, uh, I mean, I think, when I was a senior in high school, that was a one-class system in Illinois. And we were a school of about five or 600, and we were a top 16th school. Won 23 games. I got to play down at the SIU arena. And it wasn't as much fun as I wished it was. And, and I, had a, I had a nice year. You know, scored some points. And, uh, but I, I don't think I ever relaxed that year. That's why football was so much fun. I think I was in, in a helmet. My dad wasn't the coach. Fans were over there. Yeah. And uh, I, I, re I really enjoyed that, that senior year in football. So I, this, this winter, some nice gray-haired lady, <laughs> here's my gray hair, uh, <laughs> said to me, this was uh, actually it was before the sectional game. She leaned, leaned over and tapped me on the shoulder. She introduced herself. She used to teach at LSA. She said, I, just, I want to thank you for the, the, the composure you show, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, I'm that duck. You know, <laughs> below the water, I'm just paddling like hell. <laughs> uh, the, since you, I think baseball, professional baseball, where you work every day, I mean, if you got up for every game, you'd be nuts by the end of the season. So I, I think that, that has uh, influenced me to a large degree. But I, I just... I know my coaching brethren don't like to hear me say I think we need to I think we need to teach them the game and get out of their way and not try to play it like a chess or checkers game. Yeah. Uh, football's the worst. Where we give everything a fancy name to make it sound, you know, it's like uh, we had an assistant coach come on the staff at our gym at once. He goes, "What do you He said, "What is I said it's sweep, right?" He goes, "Well, we call it two such and such, you know, and he's I said, it's a damn sweep. You know, <laughs> sweep right. This is, this is, let's don't make it any tougher than it is for kids. I think we, we well, maybe I shouldn't, I'll say it. I, I just, we just put too much on kids. In the summer, we need to let them be kids. I'm going to try to play five or six games this summer. That's it. And open the gym three days a week after the football team. Craig Bundy's got a great program. I mean, he does so little, it shocks. Other coaches don't believe me when I tell them. This is, what, this is all he does. Yeah. Uh, so that's been a nice fit. Is that hard? I mean, because the pressure, I would think, as a coach is there to, hey, we have all these days. I mean, it, it, and I know I think the younger coaches just kind of do it because they're supposed to do yes. it, right? They, somebody else does it. Tom? Yeah, this is fun. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming in. And oh, I've been, <laughs> been busy since last spring, probably, before <laughs> that. So I appreciate you taking the time and coming in uh, and talking.